Hello, and welcome to the latest ClearBridge podcast. This is Jeff Schulze, CFA, Investment Strategist at ClearBridge Investments. And I'm excited to be here today with ClearBridge CEO, Terrence Murphy, and Mary Jane McQuillan, Head of the Environmental, Social, and Governments Investment. MJ is also a Portfolio Manager on the ClearBridge Sustainability Leader Strategy and our ESG separate accounts. And the topic of today's podcast is Making an Impact Through Active Equity Ownership, which also happens to be the title of our 2017 Impact Report. Terrence, MJ, thanks for being in the booth today. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Me too. So ClearBridge is a global equity manager with $140 billion in assets under management, committed to delivering long-term results through authentic active management. ClearBridge tailors our strategies to meet three primary client objectives in our areas of proven expertise, high active share, income solutions, and low volatility. We integrate ESG considerations into our fundamental research process across all strategies. So thanks, everybody, for joining in to the latest ClearBridge podcast. And today we're going to talk about ESG, which is better known as environmental, social, and governance. And you're going to hear that acronym quite, quite a bit today. And it's something that we've really embraced here at ClearBridge over the years. In fact, me and MJ were talking on the way over here, and uh, your shoes are ESG friendly? <laughs> uh, yeah, they are actually made from uh, recycled plastic pellets from discarded supermarket shopping bags, one-time use plastic. Where does one pick up those types of shoes? <laughs> they're, they're available more and more. Patagonia, Nike, uh, Tom's, and, and some of the shoes actually you can have a pair donated to a person of need in another part of the world. Well, apparently we eat, sleep, and even wear ESG here at ClearBridge, <laughs> which uh, apparently is uh, possible, and I just found that out about an hour ago. Uh, but in 2018, it really marked a milestone for ESG investing at ClearBridge with the publishing of our first impact report. Terrence, can you talk a little bit about the importance of ESG and how it's become woven into the culture of the firm? Uh, sure. This is a uh, area of uh, investing and an area of passion for ClearBridge for over 30 years. Uh, it's a key part of our fundamental research process. It drives our investment process. Uh, we believe ESG factors not only have good long-term benefits to society, but also help mitigate risk and identify investment opportunities. We see integrating ESG as a critical uh, part of the long-term success to our clients. We are an early advocate of ESG among our asset management competitors and continue to use our leadership position to increase ESG awareness. It does seem like every asset manager is uh, using the ESG buzzword nowadays, but we really were pioneers I think it's over 30 years ago since we've been in this business. But before we, we get ahead of ourselves, let's maybe take a step back and review what exactly is ESG. What's impact investing and why did ClearBridge finally publish an impact report now versus, say, 10 years ago? Sure. So when we say ESG, we're implying the ESG integration of the material and relevant factors by sector um, that are affecting environmental, social, and governance uh, issues. And um, all of our financial analysts at ClearBridge, we have 30 analysts. Uh, half of them are sector analysts. Half of them are portfolio analysts. They're all uh analyzing ESG factors within their financial analysis. So if you think of them um, finding good opportunities or good investment ideas, looking at valuation, cash flow generation, return on equity, very strong balance sheets, all that is important in their analysis. But in addition to that, they're also looking very carefully at what are the potential risks and opportunities for ESG factors by sector. Now, ESG investing is typically associated with public equities investing, but okay. then you hear another term, 
impact investing. And impact investing has traditionally been associated with foundations who wanted to make high impact in their investments due to their mission statement. Like a change in the underlying company's dynamics? Yeah, or um, supporting a technology that could help a village in a developing market. And um, there are lots of areas of high impact. Uh, however, um, the idea of impact investing uh, today, the way we see it, covers all asset classes and has shifted not just from high impact and perhaps sub-market returns with long lead times, but more so to other asset classes that are much more liquid, such as public equities, fixed income, private equity. But the point of impact investing today is to achieve above market or a market rate or above market rate returns, but also to make an impact. To MJ's point, there have been over 100 academic and professional studies on ESG and performance. Investors are now more informed by the general conclusions from these studies that depending on the experience and the quality of the investment team, ESG investments can perform as well or outperform traditional investments. So performance doesn't have, a ca- have to be a casualty of the, the ESG experience. I think that's a little bit of a misnomer Correct. that a lot of investors think about. That's the perception that we've heard from the field for decades. And part of that is because there's been an association of ESG or SRI being about exclusionary or limiting your universe. We, Clearbridge, have never taken that approach. We do see this as an investment-oriented approach to investing, very long-term. And um, it's something that finally, based to Terrence's point, the number of studies that are out there and the years of performance history, that uh, investors are now taking a closer look and have gotten past the question around performance. But why now? Why uh, why the impact report now? I think this is an important time because as we discussed, performance was a big hurdle for many investors. And so now that perf- investors are comfortable with the idea of ESG investments can perform as well, the next step that we've seen from the, uh, we've heard from the feedback from our clients is they don't just want a good portfolio. They want to know what sort of impact um, can their investments make. And so we wanted to publish an impact report. This is our first one in response to our clients who were interested. Okay, you say you can make investments and have some impact, but how? And can you show us through this report? And that's what we attempted to do. And and just to add, our clients are not just seeking a portfolio of stocks with strong ESG characteristics that can perform over time, but they also want their managers to use their role as investors to work with the investee companies to make a positive impact in the future. Yeah, so I actually have had an opportunity to to read the impact report, and I thought you, you did a fantastic job on it. And I'd encourage the listeners, uh, if they haven't checked it out already, go to clearbridge.com and, and download it. But let's maybe dive into the Clearbridge impact report and not to give away the secret sauce of it, but maybe touch on some of the, the higher points there specifically. So let's talk about the timeline. Uh, Clearbridge's foray into the space back in, in 1987. MJ, did yeah, so it, a little bit of perspective there. We're just going to touch on it. I'll just touch on a few because 30 years is a long time to cover. And um, so like you pointed out, 87 was an important year for us because that was when we opened our first client account where we integrated ESG factors into portfolio construction. That was the first account, started the first set of composites. Um, another year that was an important year for us was 1990. And that's when we joined the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility, also known as ICCR. 
And we believe that ICCR is one of the most influential investor coalitions in the U.S. And we credit them with much of the early advocacy and ESG engagement work that they had done with companies uh, over the years. And as a member of ICCR, we're able to join with them and collaborate on many of those engagements. But what's also interesting with ICCR is that it's very hard for a CEO to look into the face of a sister or a nun and say, no, I will not answer your questions. Interesting. Interesting. And in 2005, we established our central research platform and began integrating ESG factors by sector. And in that same year, we participated in the launch of the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investing, also known as the PRI, with then UN Secretary General Kofi Annan at the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, in 2005, we also had um, our inaugural Investors became an inaugural investor signatory to the Carbon Disclosure Project, also known as the CDP. A lot of acronyms here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was the first like true global initiative to help companies measure and disclose their carbon emissions. So there are other frameworks, but this was focused specifically on carbon risk and climate change. And then um, I think what's also important to note for many of our um, consultants and clients is are we working with other constituencies that are known in the mainstream in terms of financial analysis and leading on um, setting standards? And so we worked with the CFA Institute back in 2008 to help them publish their first uh, manual for investors on ESG, and we contributed case studies uh, for that report. In, in 2008, I, you know, CFA brings back some nightmares. That was when I first took level one and oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> went down that, that very long and arduous process. Well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Just to kind of round out the uh, the remainder, um, the activities over uh, kind of the remaining time period, there were 10 ClearBridge ESG, stra- ESG strategies launched. Uh, we joined the ESG Investor Networks collaborations to publish seminal uh, ESG reports to help educate the general public. So c- quite a bit of accomplishments over that time period. Well, I'm very proud of both of you. You were able to squeeze 30 years into about two and a half minutes, which I'm sure the (laughs) the listeners are very happy about. Um, But let's uh, switch gears and and maybe talk a little bit about ClearBridge and ESG specifically. So, Terrence, is there any stats that highlight ClearBridge's uh, stature in this space? Uh, Sure. You you started out the uh, discussion by mentioning we are an asset manager with $140 of, uh, of AUM. Uh, we host over a thousand company meetings per year in our offices, uh, which include ESG engagements. There are 30 fundamental analysts at ClearBridge, and half of them are sector analysts, half of them are portfolio analysts, but all are uh, driven by the same uh, goals and, and functions and, and have a very similar process in what they're doing for each of their sectors. Our investment philosophy and processes are grounded in the belief that we are long-term share owners and our average holding period across the firm is seven years, which is quite significantly higher uh, than the competitive universe. And with that, we are top 20 shareholders in over 330 companies. I really think those last two statistics stand out to me as an investor, that we're a top 20 shareholder in over 300 companies. Uh, So we have a seat at the table. Uh, Management will listen to our feedback and the ways that we can make their businesses more sustainable. But also, we're not hot money. If you have an average time frame of seven years, you have time to implement that change and have that institute itself over a longer time frame versus others in the space that you know, maybe only hold the company for one or two years. That was uh, corroborated by a study with Mercer, um, where they found that the average holding period across asset managers, particularly those who claim to be long-term investors, that it was actually 1.7 years. 
So that's something to think about. Well, let's talk about this at the, the firm level again. And, and Terrence, you know, as an active manager, how, how do we support ESG across the, for, the firm? And how does it inform not just our ESG strategies, but all of our investment offerings that we have to our clients? Let's say, unlike other firms that might have a separate ESG team or utilize outside providers, our team of sector analysts drive our ESG efforts with each analyst taking a lead in the engagements directly with the companies. The ESG aspect of our fundamental research informs not only our ESG portfolios, but all strategy, strategies across the firm. We review it as uh, just another dimension of uh, analysis that, that guides our stock selection. The analysts are given guidance on ESG integration, working very closely with our director of research, working closely with our CIOs. Uh, and lastly, the analyst ESG research and rec- recommendations figure into the overall compensation model uh, that we use at ClearBridge. And could I also add to Terrence's um, description of how we think of ESG here? And I just want to highlight that this is, from what we've been told, very different than the uh, the practice that is most commonly used in the field, which is to buy an outside uh, service provider, um, buy their research, and uh, apply it or overlay it onto their own um, investment process. Like a negative list, basically. Like a negative list or buying someone else's opinion. So as a buy-side active manager, we would never look at the sell side and say, well, the sell side says to buy the stock, so we should buy the stock. But unfortunately, what's been happening is that many managers have been relying on the ratings of a third-party opinion as well. Um, we found that you know the, the third-party services are helpful to many managers, and it's a good starting point. But uh, our belief is that you want to make the analysis and the research part of your fundamental process and own that um, that assessment or that internal rating of each of those companies. Well, that's not something that, that ClearBridge does. We have our own proprietary ESG rating system that, that integrates throughout the entire firm. Uh, some have called it the future of investing in ESG. Um, how, how important is it to have sector analysts be the, the front lines of this ESG research and integration at the, at the firm level? It is extremely important to have our sector analysts be on the front lines of ESG research and, and integration. Our analysts' specific knowledge and experience in a dedicated sector leads them to consider factors most applicable to the companies they cover. For instance, our technology software analyst looks at data privacy and security as key considerations, while our consumer staples analyst scrutinizes food safety and supply chain integration. And other issues like gender diversity and executive compensation are a focus for all of the analysts. This approach enables us to develop this proprietary ESG rating system and track the progress of our individual companies towards goals that we may have proposed or discussed with the company management teams. In turn, the analysts then give ESG ratings that are like bond ratings, A, AA, AAA type ratings. So is it is it AAA, you know, similar to bonds, AAA is the best, uh, AA is, you know, a little bit lower in quality, mm-hmm. single A? How, how do the ratings actually work? So a single A company is an early stage company, a uh, company that's in, uh, could be a young company, a company that uh, actually has the potential to make a lot of impact and will typically reach out to our analysts and seek their guidance on how they can successfully integrate sustainable business practices within the view of a share owner. Um, a double A company it could be a company that's intermediate level, has made some progress, shows signs that they are understanding where sustainability can add value and competitive advantage, uh, but is not yet best in their industry or best 
custom breed uh, in terms of sustainability. And then a AAA company would be a company that is a leadership company within its industry, CEO support, um, all levels of management, the board, and that they've been able to incorporate sustainability into their long-term strategy and have been very successful at it. And so single A, double A, and triple A are all the ratings that the analysts will focus on and represent the majority of the ratings based on uh, the bottom-up research that our analysts do. There is another rating called the B rating, and that is um, a rating that represents a red flag. It represents that the analyst is trying to communicate. Basically, all these analysts, uh, all these ratings are helping the analysts communicate to the PMs where the company is in terms of sustainability. So a B rating would mean that there's a red flag, doesn't mean it will never get invested in, doesn't mean that it, it can't change. But the goal for the analysts, if they took the time to find something interesting about that company, they will usually work with that company and help them switch over to the A status. And the goal, obviously, is to get this company over the seven-year hold period to, to AAA at the end of the day. That's right. They, we want to see improvement, and that's what our analysts are doing because, again, the improvement is aligned with the long-term shareholder view. I know, MJ, you, you've talked about public equities and impact for years. What, you know, what do you mean by, by those terms? You know, as we said earlier, impact investing was often associated with kind of niche investing and and kind of um, very high profile, high impact investments that weren't necessarily liquid. We think that one of the most underutilized and perhaps underappreciated asset classes to cause change are public equities. And what we mean by that is that we believe that the public sector certainly plays a role in societal change, such as through government policies and the work of the United Nations. But the scale of corporations or public equities is still enormous. So companies that, if we think about companies that have locations in over 100 countries, you know, a government will have jurisdiction over one country perhaps. A company can have involvement with 100 countries. They employ millions of people. They touch thousands of communities. And one major change, if they were to make a major change, for example, in a product, in the product design, um, such as increasing energy efficiency in smartphones. And we all have smartphones, and we seem to keep buying smartphones. So increasing energy efficiency will have um, an exponential benefit. Or reducing the levels of electricity use in homes. Many of us use our electricity, and many of us are now starting to appreciate the cost savings of uh, being more efficient in terms of the electric electricity bill. Or reusing materials that would otherwise go into the landfill or decreasing the amount of sugar in foods or extending maternity leave policy for employees. We have seen many studies and companies that we own that extending the maternity leave even by 50%, uh, you know, typically it's like three months in the United States, even by 50% has helped to reduce turnover by 100%. So that that investment in giving a, a young mother or a mother more time or a father uh, more time at home has helped to retain that talent and to keep that um, uh, institutional knowledge so that you don't have that lost information, that lost um, talent uh, due to maternity leave. Well, you talked about smartphone phone use, uh, electricity use, sugar and foods. Kind of brings me to a, a game that I, I think would be fun to play, and it uh, would be the first ever uh, ESG Jeopardy game that we've done on the podcast <laughs> here at Clearbridge. It may be the last ever, depending on how this goes. <laughs> uh, but I'd like to maybe throw out examples of companies and uh, what the analysts see as the the major impact goal that they can be more sustainable going forward. Um, so I guess the category, if it's the ESG Jeopardy game, is the engagement topic for impact. You guys up for it? Yeah, sure. that sounds good. All right. So Terrence, how about you name a company that's in one of the Clearbridge portfolios? And MJ, uh, you have to state the engagement topic for impact. 
Uh, and MJ, no pressure. Uh, if you get something <laughs> wrong, it's only two or 3,000 listeners that uh, you know, <laughs> forever be on this podcast. Well, I'd also just like to preface that any of the engagement topics that we talk about that our analysts um, address are always within the view of a share owner. So they're not just engagement topics for the sake of it, but it's because they believe it adds value from a long-term perspective. Okay. Great. Uh, Terrence. All right. Great. So uh, to begin, CVS. CVS. Okay. Uh, and I have like five seconds per answer? I'd okay. say five seconds. Okay. Uh, three seconds. CVS is one of those companies that have been on the front line fighting the opioid addiction in the United States. Opioid addiction is something that we all have to take very seriously. It affects all geographies, affects all uh, levels of income. And um, CVS has been working to educate uh, the pharmacists and trying to reduce the spread of the opioid addiction. All right. Next, uh, Home Depot. Home Depot, um, our analyst covers consumer discretionary. I've spent many, many years working with the company on the issue of sustainable forestry. If you think of Home Depot as one of the largest buyers of lumber, um, having a sustainable future source of uh, wood is something that's very important to them. So that has been an area of engagement. Uh, Disney? Disney. Uh, Disney has a lot of areas that have been engaged. Um, but one, if we all think about, um, they're always coming out with new movies, new content, new princesses, uh, new heroes. And so um, these companies that they work with uh, to manufacture toys and apparel are considered licensee companies. So there's a supply chain that's pretty complex and churns over pretty regularly. And so Disney has been following and establishing supplier standards to make sure that uh, the workers are paid properly and not harassed. Okay. Uh, what about Coke? Coke. Coke is interesting because our analyst who covers staples addresses a lot of areas with Coke, as you can imagine, um, particularly with regard to uh, water. And uh, he spent a lot of time engaging the company on how com- how Coca-Cola could invest in addressing water scarcity globally, as well as conservation. As we know, water is key to their products. So it's, it's, it's an important area for them too. And Starbucks? Starbucks. I could use a Starbucks right now. Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's a very warm room in here. No, it's a, uh, transitioning away. So this is one area that transitioning away from plastic straws. So there are shareholder proposals that were filed and um, we voted our shares and we've engaged the company on a number of items. But um, plastic straws have, have been known to be very harmful to marine animals. They don't uh, decompose and the shape of them has been problematic. Um, and actually, I'm starting to see this in practice. And so Many uh, places I've been to, there are no more plastic straws. You might notice this too in a lot of restaurants. Uh, But Starbucks has made a commitment to to phase it out. Okay, good. Uh, Microsoft? Microsoft. So our analyst who covers IT software, she spends a lot of time, as you can imagine, thinking about data security and customer privacy because Microsoft is one of the leading companies to take market share in the cloud. And the cloud is a, a wonderful source of storage and security, but you have to make sure you have the controls in place and uh, that you are having your cyber police constantly monitor what takes place with all of your customers that are going to the cloud. All right. Google. Google. Uh, there's lots of things that uh, our media internet analyst covers with Google, and um, but one that has been pressing, and it was part of our Q1 commentary this year, which is the idea of what is the environmental impact of technology. Um, when we mentioned smartphones earlier to make it more energy efficient, when you think of um, the amount of computing power that's happening around the world, it's only increasing. No one is going to reduce, no one has been reducing their amount of computing. They're actually doing much more. And in the last two years, the estimates are that 90% of computing power around the world has grown just in the last two years. So how do you support all this uh, power usage and generation? And 
the uh, major technology companies, particularly Google, have committed to renewable energy, cleaner energy, um, because they need to supplement and support future energy sources. And billions of searches of Google uh, on Google every day, this is something that um, they've taken as a part of their business proposition to absolutely ensure that they have power for the needs. And, and just kind of to round out uh, a broad list of, uh, of types of companies we own, why don't you close with Kimberly? Kimberly-Clark, there's so many areas Kimberly-Clark. Our Staples analyst has talked about, you know, um, sustainably sourced fiber. If you think of tissues and you think of paper towels, um, they they are been probably one of the most responsible companies. The CEO loves to talk about sustainability with us when they come in, when he comes in, to, um, Tom Falk. And, uh, but an area that they've been talking about recently is um, diapers. And when you think about diapers, plastic diapers, unfortunately, most plastic diapers wind up in the landfill, and Kimberly Clark, being one of the largest manufacturers of diapers, wanted to address this. And so they told our analysts that they are working on making the diapers compostable. So you can throw your diaper in your compost. It might wind up in your farming. <laughs> <laughs> compostable diapers. That sure took a, long, a turn at the very end there. I think that's uh, going to be the last question we have for today. Okay, okay. I, I would say, I don't know what you think, Terrence, but I think uh, MJ did well enough to make it to the Tournament of Champions Absolutely. version of this <laughs> if uh, we do our next ESG podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Terrence. <laughs> um, last thing I wanted to touch on, I know we're running out of time here, is, is proxy voting. You know, how does that make an impact? How do we look at that from a, an ESG investor standpoint? Well, proxy voting it was one of those kind of um, another underappreciation aspect of public equities is that you have the ability to vote. And every share that you own, you can uh, cast a vote to signal to management what is on your mind and how you think management is doing. Um, as Terrence mentioned earlier, we're a top 20 share owner in, in over 300 companies, but we're also a top five or a top 10 share owner in quite a large number of companies as well. So you can imagine the amount of access and time that we spend with those managements. The proxy voting that we do um, is, very deliberate, uh, very well-studied proposal by proposal. We don't ever want to waste a proposal. We have a 100% vote record. And so when we think of um, voting very important proposals, such as uh, gender diversity on the board or for management, um, we've aggregated our shares so that the entire firm can vote. So, for example, um, one of our companies, a media company, Discovery Communications, uh, the firm is a number one share owner. And uh, uh, and, you know, surprisingly, it didn't have any women on the board. And so uh, a shareholder proposal was put out to ask management to start thinking about diversity on the board, uh, particularly for uh, new candidates. And um, we voted all of our shares for that. And then they added a woman on the board. And then the proposal uh, appeared again this year. And we voted again uh, for that proposal because we know that there have been numerous quantitative studies that gender diversity, if anything, could add a lot of value to share owners. Uh, return on equity, return on investment capital have been higher with companies that had higher uh, gender diversity. And, you know, even thinking about this media company, their uh, focus and their target is women viewers going forward amongst other areas. And so having representation and management made sense to us. And over the years, our analysts have engaged company management teams on carbon emissions uh, disclosure, sustainability reporting, improving water conditions and supply chains, certification of forest and wood products, fair labor standards, um, reducing packaging of products, and executive compensation, to name just a, a few other areas. Mm -hmm. 
Great. And, and MJ, I know you do wear a couple of hats uh, at ClearBridge. Obviously, you're the head of ESG investment, but you're also a portfolio manager on the sustainability leaders strategy. Um, maybe talk about this strategy. It's a relatively new strategy that, that we've put together here at ClearBridge and, and why it was specifically created for our clients. My co-portfolio manager partner, Derek Deutschen, and I were really excited when ClearBridge gave us the opportunity to start a new fund uh, based on a lot of the feedback that we were getting um, with the excitement and, and increased awareness around ESG and sustainable investing. So the name of the fund, Sustainable Leaders, implies and um, is, is evidenced by many of the companies that are in the portfolio. So in that fund, we were seeking not only companies with excellent financial characteristics, but we were also seeking companies that can make an impact and are sustainability leaders in their industry. So you will, if you look at the distribution of the ESG ratings for that portfolio, you will see a higher preponderance to AAAs, which is not surprising to us, again, given the name of this uh, fund. And the reason why there's such a big focus on the leaders company and companies making impact is that we had received a lot of feedback, particularly from millennials, that performance is something that they expect and appreciate, but they also want to see impact as they go into the next generation and their children's generation. And so um, having that idea of a high financial, high sustainability uh, was something that's really important to our clients. And millennials have said that they are looking for more retirement plan options and they want an ESG fund option. And so this was another reason why uh, we created this way. And I think ESG investment, if you look over in Japan or Europe, they, they have been ahead of this trend for quite some time. And it's obviously getting a little bit more uh, traction here in the U.S. And I think that's going to be uh, an investment thesis that uh, continues to, to gain more momentum as we move into the 2020s. Uh, well, we're out of time here. I uh, appreciate both of you for, for joining me in the booth here today. Thank you very much. Yes, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. And I appreciate all the listeners for joining in to the latest ClearBridge podcast. And if you haven't been able to check out that impact report, uh, go to clearbridge.com and and download it. I think you're going to find it very interesting uh, with a lot of real-time examples of how we've been able to make an impact at a company level. So thanks again, and we hope to have you on the next ClearBridge podcast. Please note the following. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. The opinions and views expressed in today's podcast are of the individual speakers as of August 16th, 2018, and may differ from other managers or the firm as a whole and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Any statistics referenced have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but the accuracy and completeness of this information cannot be guaranteed. Neither ClearBridge Investments nor its information providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from the use of this information.